Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Errol Denger. He's the Director of Experience Driven Commerce, uh, Program and Strategy at Adobe. And uh, Errol's going to talk about some interesting happenings at Adobe as it relates to uh, them acquiring Magento, which is an e-commerce platform. But I want to say, Errol, hello and how are you doing? Thanks for coming. Thanks, Rich. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your background, you know, maybe the last few years and how it led to your working at Adobe. Oh, well, I guess you could say I'm a commerce geek at heart. Um, been doing this about 20 years, started at the days of Webvan and, you know, sock puppets, if you remember that. Um, but oh, yeah. over the past, <laughs> yeah, who can forget? Uh, but over the past several years, I was uh, at IBM running their commerce practice and more recently at Adobe we launched the experience-driven commerce program. Uh, so Adobe has a very rich experience cloud or our marketing cloud, and my team and I have focused on developing the commerce capabilities um, necessary to support the e-commerce use case. And obviously with that, we uh, then decided to take a more aggressive stance and uh, completely fill the gap uh, through the acquisition of Magento. So what is... Um... What's experience-driven commerce? What does that mean? That's a great question. Um, so maybe I'll take it to the highest level and talk about, you know, experience cloud and what our strategy is. So, you know, first and foremost, sure. if, if you think about the, like, the world that we play in, um, there's no such thing as a unique product anymore. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite stats is the HBR stat, that basically says 98.7% of the value of innovation goes to imitators. Um, and, you know, put simply, there's no such thing anymore as having a unique product. Um, so, you know, what we at Adobe believe is that, you know, experiences are really what differentiate firms. And, you know, those are the things we remember. Um, and, you know, an experience doesn't always have to be a high fidelity creative, you know, uh, I'll say creative cloud type of thing. Um, many times they're just subtleties that you don't even recognize, such as, you know, when you're booking an airline uh, ticket, you know, we know that your preference is an aisle seat. Or when you walk into a store and that store associate, um, you know, knows maybe your size and your style preferences. So what experience-driven commerce is all about is really bringing together rich data and insights, so understanding who you are um, and where you are in your journey um, in order to contextually engage you, so leveraging data and bringing that together with content, creative, and processes to create the optimal experience. So a first-time visitor, if you're in discovery phase, we're going to maybe show you rich videos um, to inspire you or in B2B to educate you. But after you've purchased, you don't maybe want to see a runway video. Instead, you want to see, you know, 
this is the accessory or in B2B, this, this is the maintenance bundle that would go with the product I just purchased. And so experience-driven commerce brings together Adobe Analytics, you know, the real-time targeting, as well as experience management to deliver those types of experiences. So um, can you give an example, one B2B example, one uh, B2C example? You know, what would I see the first time I go to a website versus the second, third, fourth, or let's say I got it, you know, I, I put an item in my cart and I got to the end and something happened, you know, my, my wife called and I closed the browser or something or I got distracted. And, you know, what kind of experiences will I receive then? Sure, great question. Um, so, so let me first answer your your exact question, um, and then I'll give you two other examples. Which is, you know, if you put something in your cart, and uh, you know, we we will remember, um, you know, exactly what you were doing and what the context was, um, you know, and maybe if it, you abandoned it for a long period, we might give you a bit of a nudge by sending you an email reminding you that you know. Those products are still waiting for you, and you know. Similarly, when you come back, um, you know, trying to pick up where you left off, and you know, that's that's sometimes pretty challenging, because you know, again, as you switch channels and as your context evolves, you know, we always have to pick up on those little cues. But to answer your first question, not only you know, persisting your cart and experience. But as you progress through the experience, actually using the right algorithms to make those relevant recommendations. Um, but to give you some customer examples, you know, you asked B2B and B2C. Um, maybe the first one I would hit is from B2B, um, National Instruments, they do semiconductor testing equipment. Um, you know, and one of the things they were struggling with is they literally had too much information. And... Um, if you're familiar with the uh, paradox of choice, there was a JAM study that basically um, illustrates that when faced with too many choices, um, you slowed down the decision process um, and you were actually one-tenth as likely to buy than when you are presented with fewer, cleaner choices. So it's not, can I give you too much? It's giving you the right information. And so... Uh, National Instruments went from about 44,000 pieces of information to about 4,000. And if you go to their site, what you'd see is each step of the process, there's a 90-second video. They talk you through it. As you make decisions and narrow your choices down, um, that's automatically integrated into search. Um, and, you know, you keep narrowing down um, what's called search facets, but, you know, the available options. So it becomes very curated. And then obviously, if you exit and you come back, you know, your session context will, you know, be remembered and you can pick up where you left off. So that's a good B2B example. You know, I think from a B2C perspective, maybe I'll talk about a brand platform. Um, slightly different example, um, but maybe someone like Vans. Um, so actually, they're one of my favorite brands because, you know, they're not like a shopping site. They're truly a lifestyle site. And so every few days, they're updating, you know, their athletes, their events, their music titles. And so they're giving, you know, their audience a reason to come back. So um, for B2C, let's say, um, I don't know, I'm going to a website and I, I'm looking at a pair of socks. You know, and I leave, 
Um, will I get uh, retargeting? Will I get ads showing me those socks maybe in different colors or, you know, hey, with those socks, maybe you want to buy a pair of shoes or a shirt or something like that. I mean, does it do upsells and cross-sells suggestions or does it just remind me of what I was about to buy or does it uh, push FAQs or reviews on the products? Like how how adaptive is this thing? Uh, so we will, you know, typically we will, based on what you are looking at and your, so obviously when you're browsing and we don't have that fully personal relationship with you, you know, we'll look at what you've done and how your cohort um, or people like you have, you know, who came from, you know, maybe similar upstream sites or did cer certain things that enabled us to segment you, right? Um, so then what we're going to do is typically try to find the most relevant assortment um, so that, you know, we're, we're going to bring you back to the site with the right message and assortment. Um, so, so the simple answer is it, it depends on how our clients configure this, uh, the retargeting algorithms. Um, you know, if you're looking at socks, you know, those socks hopefully won't follow you around the Internet for six weeks. Um, that's why we want to close the loop, right, and understand that you've bought or purchased, um, but also to kind of give you a, a slightly more robust response that is going to pique your interest. Well, how do you follow up? How do you follow up without um, annoying people or creeping them out? You know, how do you do it effectively? Have you done testing to see what works to move a sale forward versus uh, you know cause people to run away? Yeah, so there's definitely um, you know we are able to set tolerances within our targeting profiles to ensure that, you know, we don't create too much fatigue in a specific message. Um, so the number of touches, um, as well as the timing, you know, all of the, you know, recency and frequency elements are, are absolutely um, configurable. And, you know, typically it's by a browser or, you know, how, or a device you know, our clients, you know, maybe we'll target you once or twice through a medium. Um, and then we might shift to maybe from, let's just say, retargeting to email. But the last thing we want to do is, and our clients want to do is kind of freak out the consumer that, hey, I looked at something on your site and now you're going to hunt me uh, down everywhere I go across the internet. So, it varies by brand strategy, but that is an integral element of a modern programming uh, approach is, or targeting strategy is, you know, really making sure that you you are respectful in your outreach and that you don't create brand fatigue. What kind of customers do you have for this platform? Are they uh, small, you know, sellers of e-commerce? Are they larger brands? Are they going more for branding or for direct sales? I mean, what's like the range of companies and people that you help? So I'll answer that question two ways. So for Adobe Experience Cloud, um, you know, we work predominantly in the mid-market and enterprise space across an exceptionally wide range of, you know, use cases literally from travel and hospitality and tourism and, you know, all the way through, of course, core commerce, which is what I'm focused on. Um, with Magento, we really expand, um, you know, more aggressively into some of those mid-market firms. Um, and so the answer is, you know, or, or I'll say one of the things that we found very compelling and a great synergy is not only Magento's ability to play up-market, 
um, but also the strength of their mid-market segment and enabling us to really provide, um, you know, they provide a strong channel into, you know, mid-market firms who actually have the exact same problems as larger enterprises. Uh, so, you know, now we want to be able to target them as well. But it's it's a pretty broad spectrum. Okay, and yeah, I could see if you sell, I don't know, uh, 10, 20, 30, or hundreds of products. I mean, I don't know how you would do this without automation, without systems like yours. I mean, it just, it's not possible for people to do it all. I so is that is that where you see the power of what you do, or where do you see the, the biggest benefits of your system? You know, I, I think you summed it up well. Um, you know, a lot of these historical systems are process-based um, and or rules-based, I'll say, and, and we have reached capacity, um, both in terms of humans' ability to enter, manually enter all of the different scenarios. Um, you know, when I look at the socks, recommend the shoes. And on top of that, you know, for a system to execute hundreds of layers of rules um, is an incredibly complex endeavor and not very efficient. So, you know, I think at Adobe, and, you know, that's really the foundation of Adobe Sensei, and our data platform is you know, really understanding that changing context um, and using the right algorithms and the right AI um, to, to drive the outcome. So I, I think you summed it up very well, is that really is the future. Um, mm. And I would say it's it's going to continue to evolve. How much of what you do is AI versus just, you know, setting up a bunch of rules for follow-up? What have you seen the difference to be? So I think, you know... I'll say no matter what, there's always going to be a mix. Um, so let's just break it, break AI down and it's three constituent elements, right? So the first is um, no algorithm is effective unless you really have um, a broad view of the customer and data. Um, so our data platform brings together a very robust view. Um, so then the next piece to answer your question. So first is, you need, you know, 360-degree view, multi-dimensional data. Then it's, you know, rules. And so before you run the algorithm, you're going to actually utilize a, um, a filtration set utilizing different targeting rules. So that will determine, you know, obviously, I, I can give you an offer that I know you would accept 100% of the time. And that is, if I give you 100% off or some ridiculous discount, you know, you are going to, you know, capitalize on that coupon or incentive. So the first thing you do when you're executing these campaigns is you set parameters with rules, um, you know, what the targeting criteria is, et cetera, what the limitations are. So you're always going to have that. And then finally, you utilize the algorithms to really refine which, you know, offer do I show when, um, in which context and why, because the last thing I want to do is extend, you know, a discount to you when you're already progressing through that purchasing pipeline. So, you know, the two work harmoniously. Um, and, you know, I think in the future, maybe I, I would say 60 to seven, you know, 60 to 70 percent of what happens on the site will be refined or help or guided by algorithms with 30 to 40 percent being more of the art and the art and the um, presentation of the brand which you don't want an algorithm to do hmm. okay 
Well, being on the inside of, uh, you know, the data collection and the deployments and the results, what kind of interesting things have you seen behavior-wise, results-wise, you know, stuff that's not proprietary, obviously, but, you know, what kind of things have you seen that are curious or cool? You know, it, it definitely varies by industry and use case. Um, a couple things we learned, um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll rely on, I'll say, pooled learnings first. The same reason that the Netflix um, DVD algorithm didn't work for their streaming business is what we're, we're increasingly learning that, you know, maybe your digital targeting algorithms are not optimized for omni-channel context. Um, in other words, we have, you know, a, a number of intelligent algorithms so that, you know, if you're solely shopping online versus you're standing in the department, you know, we'll rely on different AI and targeting rules because the way you shop is different. Um, so that's probably one is that, um, you know, it's not just about the algorithm, but about the context and kind of when you use it. Uh, the other one that I would say is, you know, pretty consistent is, um, you know, sparsity, not sparsity, but, you know, not overdoing what's on the page, always having, when we run multivariate tests um, and we we distill the outcomes of, you know, which test won and why, I would say mm -hmm. as we genericize it, it's, you know, eliminating noise, eliminating friction, going with, you know, frequently the simplest models are those that um, have the highest, you know, win rates in an optimization scenario. And, you know, that's tough for a lot of these big sites because everyone wants to rep, you know, wants, if, if you're talking about, you know, a multi-brand experience, everyone wants to recommend their product and, you know, that noise creates fatigue and slows it down. Those are probably yeah. the two biggest things we've learned. Well, I know from doing, um, you know, websites and stuff myself for a while, I mean, here's what I've seen. I don't know if it's accurate, but it seems like the average conversion rate for website e-commerce stuff is like 1%. And if you get to 2 or 3%, that's amazing. You know, that's really high. I mean, what, uh, how much of a lift have you seen and what kind of numbers are you working with? You know, I know it depends on the industry and the clients, but, you know, what are some ballpark numbers and improvements you've seen? Um, you know, and it, it, it really, <laughs> of course, it, it ranges from, number one, are you going from a, you, you had nothing um, to maybe an incremental improvement and how are you improving, you know, again, your data pool, your targeting rules, et cetera. Um, you know, but typically what we like to strive for and we see is within, you know, your merchandising pains, trying to see an increase in conversion and click through on those areas of maybe 10 to 20 percent. Um, so, again, I'm not saying the whole site will convert, to, you know, will, will improve conversion, but, you know, engaging customers to start considering the cross-sells, considering upsells. Um, you know, typically, I'll, I'll say, if you're talking about a $100 million retailer and you increase, increase their average AOV um, or conversion by just, you know, 0.1%, you've done pretty well. Um, sure. But, you know, it, it really varies. You know, in some of the smaller firms, we've literally doubled, you know, their site conversion and AOV. And, and that's typically when they're moving from more of a completely manual approach to automated approaches. Well, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see companies make or brands make 
you know, maybe a B2B example or a B2C example or a rule or, you know, a guideline for them? Um, I'll, I'll give you one across industries. Uh, so I, I think, and, and maybe I'll, I'm probably going to get the quote wrong, but something Steve Jobs said, which was, you've got to start with the customer experience, not the technology, uh, but you work backward to the technology. So mm. I think the first mistake is sometimes you see companies too excited about maybe the art of the possible um, and not really thinking about holistically how different technologies are going to actually improve the customer experience, whether it's IoT, conversational commerce, whatever. And let's just give you a simple example. Um, you know, if you're talking about Alexa or chat, you know, best thing that you can do with that type of service is you're, you're maybe more mundane, you know, Wisma, where's my order, right? Um, instead of trying to sell maybe a, an outfit through that. And, you know, so the first one is don't lose track of your customers. And then I'd say the other one is kind of equally aligned with that is, you know, one of the interesting things about the industry over the past, say, two decades is there, there is always a technology of the day, right? So, you know, whether it's Web 2.0, it could be native apps, progressive web apps, um, you know, the list really goes on. But, you know, consistently what we see is you basically have, you know, all of these new technologies and these shiny objects. And what I would say is um, history repeats itself. So, you know, while... It's great if you have kind of an, a lab or an innovation initiative um, that can operate at the fringe and roll these into deployments. Um, you know, I guess my recommendation in, in general is that, you know, as a company, you don't always want to be on that bleeding edge um, because, you know, the platforms will catch up, the pendulum will swing back. Um, and you'll have an opportunity then to, rather than changing, cha uh, chasing all of these shiny objects, um, you know, better leveraging, you know, those technologies as they've achieved scale. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was just thinking about my experience with different companies. You know, it's you can work on the front end of the process where you're evaluating them, and they can show up really well there, so you're more likely to become a customer. And then what I see more often, unfortunately, is uh, the back end, you know, after I'm a customer, or, I don't, or I'm not a customer, then they'll spend all this effort chasing me or enticing me with stuff, but they didn't do a good job on the front end, so I never became a customer, you know? Exactly. So I can see how uh, both parts are super important, and uh, I just wonder which, which one uh, brands tend to fail at more, which ones they want to do or they, they don't think is important. I guess that was my curiosity. Yeah, I guess I would say there is, um, you know, we... Probably the reality is, and you know, and again, different stat, but 73% of shoppers are cross-channel, um, yet only 8% of brands are able to deliver a rich cross-channel experience. So right sure. now, I think the number one area of where brands are missing the mark is, you know, they're they're failing to truly operate as an omni-channel enterprise and. You know, with Magento, that's one of the things and some of the capabilities we've rolled out that, you know, we're taking on um, to solve. But in terms of the marketplace, I still think there's a lot of room for improvement there. Yeah, well, so 
with the addition of Magento, the takeover, what are our companies and brands and customers you are going to experience now that's different than before? What is new stuff that's coming to the table? Well, so we're still in integration planning, so I can't comment uh, too deeply on the roadmap, but I think you know the core vision for us is to make every moment shoppable and you know to really seamlessly bring you know that commerce capability all the way up to the point of consideration. Um, and so you know let's talk about some of the things we discussed, right? So if you're thinking about advertising and you know that that retargeting ad now can become a shoppable ad unit. Um, so you never even have to on a third party site, you could just click and buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the way through, you know, each phase, what, you know, what customers can do now is if you look at Adobe is unique with our advertising, you know, Sensei, our DMP, um, our targeting platform, our, you know, those elements, it's, you know, we're really trying to make that experience, number one, more frictionless, more contextual. Um, and, and again, to a- answer your question directly, you know, every element of the experience to kind of infuse that commerce capability. And uh, did you happen to uh, attend the Adobe Summit? No, I wasn't able to make it. What were some of the highlights there? Well, one of the things we showed, which was pretty cool, um, is uh, kind of a a glimpse into our view of the future. And so um, my group created a set of microservices now that we're using uh, to integrate with Magento as well. Um, but it was exactly what I just mentioned, uh, which is the ability to make any image. So create 90% of the world's creatives and brands use Adobe Photoshop. Um, and so now it's a pretty significant number, right, that we haven't monetized. Yeah. And uh, so now if you think about it, it'd be great to um, be able to actually turn all of those images into opportunities to transact. And so what we did is we showed how to make an image a shoppable, transactional, whether it's on your site or a third party through a single click. So if you think about it, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, we're still in the early phases. It's it's called a sneak, so it's a view into the future. Um, but if you're a blogger and you're blogging about, you know, um, you know professional blogger, um, photojournalist, you're you know, blogging about your trip across the North Pole or down to a remote beach. Um, you can now turn that, you know, picture of you into a shoppable opportunity. Or if you're a media platform, even, instead of selling clicks, um, now you can sell conversions. So, you know, I think the opportunity out there, if you look at who Adobe is at our core, which is, you know, empowering the creative community and empowering marketers in new ways, um, it's not just making commerce more frictionless and effective. I think there are completely new ways that we can transform how marketers and the, the industry thinks about making moments shoppable. And and that you know that's what our CEO, the vision that he's articulated, and it gets pretty exciting when you get into those use cases. Yeah, I guess if you had a whole bunch of companies that were using your platform, you could have a uh, add to Adobe Cart button or something on these ads so that people can, uh, you know, as they're going around the web, they can put stuff, maybe, I mean, this is my idea, but, you know, they can put something into a common trusted uh, checkout platform, such as, let's say, Adobe, 
and just check out there without having to go to these sites and buy the items from the sites. You know? That's a great idea. <laughs> we'll have to follow <laughs> up on that one. Yeah, there you go. I bet you if you don't, Amazon's going to you know try something like that. But uh, anyway, so yeah. Well, very yeah. cool. Well, so what's, uh, what's the best way for interested parties to, uh, to contact you? It sounds like Adobe is really going to be making uh, a lot of strides in this area. So the brands need the help. What's the best way to get in, t- in contact? Well, I think the first one would be, you know, we regularly post to our blog. Um, so both the Adobe um, and Magento blogs, you'll be able to go there for regular updates. And then, um, you know, clearly I'm a geek. I love this stuff. Uh, so, you know, feel free to email me. Um, my email is my last name. It's denger, D-E-N-G-E-R, at adobe.com. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I I think there are so many exciting opportunities and use cases. So I love to hear from, you know, the listeners out there what what your thoughts are um, and, you know, if, if there are any opportunities that you see. Well, very good. Well, Errol, I really appreciate you coming on the call. Thanks so much. My pleasure, and thank you so much for your time today. Uh, hopefully, we can do an update in a year and uh, talk about where we've ca- gone over the past year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.